Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. All right, take your Bibles out, turn to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5. Great to see all of you this morning, and we are so thankful and grateful for God's sweet presence here today. We're in a serious messy church. You say, what, what are you talking about, messy church? I want to tell you, first of all, the church is made up of messy people, right? We're all messy, and we got problems, and we go through struggles, and we talk about how the Holy Spirit comes and takes all of our messes and begins to meld them together. But then there's another way of looking at it, and it's also this way that the, how many have heard this expression, it's going to mess you up? The Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and he will mess you up. He'll change your agenda. He'll change your priorities. He'll change your life. He'll change your family, but he'll mess you up in a good way. And the Holy Spirit comes and just kind of messes everything up. And so you look at the, the book of Acts. It's this incredible uh, view of what the church should be like. And we begin to see the Holy Spirit coming in and, and messing things up. And you, you can't get any messier in the day of Pentecost. And they're there and they're in, the upper, they're in the upper room. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They move out into the temple area, into the streets of Jerusalem. They are praying in unknown languages. And what do the people who are watching think? These guys are drunk. It was messy. The Holy Spirit was being outpoured and there's already talk about what's going on. And so they were drunk, these men. And Peter stands up and preaches. And that morning, 3,000 people are saved. The church was messy when Paul goes out and he begins to move and he's going to destroy the church. He's going to kill believers. He's going to put them in prison. But he has an encounter with God. The glory of God comes down. He is blinded. And now we have a murderer that is totally, radically messed up for Jesus and becomes the greatest missionary we could ever know or think. Last week we looked at how God messed with Peter. And Peter had this whole idea that salvation was for the Jews, and and you could be saved. Anybody really could be saved. You just had to become a Jew first, and then that would work out just fine, and then you could really be saved and find Jesus Christ. But, But the Holy Spirit comes down, gives him a vision that totally messes up his paradigm, breaks down all the racial barriers, and Peter and Cornelius are brought together supernaturally. The Holy Spirit is poured out again, and and so Rachel prejudice walls come down holy spirit messing things up how many know that the gifts of the spirit can be messy sometimes nine gifts of the holy spirit first corinthians chapter 12 he lists those gifts right there and 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 sometimes you come into a church and like today you heard a uh, the manifestation of tongues and you heard the gift of interpretation and he just kind of came in and interrupted our service because he wanted to speak something very directly to where we at at that time and sometimes people come in they don't understand what's going on and yet the gifts of the spirit are, are important for the church there's one gift that's going to operate in acts chapter 5 That's going to kind of be the basis of the whole message today. And we're going to stay right here in this chapter. And it's called the gift of discernment. Heard of that gift. Very, very important gift that he gives. One of the uh, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. The gift of discernment. The, the, The gift of discernment is kind of the watchdog for all the other gifts. 
Let you tell what spirit that is of, whether it's of the spirit of the Lord or the spirit of Satan or just the spirit of the flesh. And so you need that gift of discernment. And so you have this gift that's going to be on full alert in Acts chapter 5 because that gift of discernment is going to be given through Peter to know that Ananias and Sapphira are in the middle of a great big lie. So let's, let's read about it together. Let's stand up, turn and look at Acts 5, and we'll read these 11 verses because I want you to hear the whole story. And then we're going to stay right here in Acts 5. We're going to move, and uh, so follow closely if you would. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. He brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept, your, and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think you could do such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Probably haven't heard a lot of sermons on Ananias and Sapphira. Probably not one you want to hear about, the judgment of God. The Bible says, let judgment first begin in the house of the Lord. I pray that his Holy Spirit will come in and bring Holy Ghost judgment this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful, quicker than any double-edged sword, able to pierce asunder even soul and spirit. So come in, Spirit of God, and do your holy work today, I pray, in this house. Mess us up again, I pray, with your love and your power and your presence. And we'll give you the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I didn't have time to go back and read from chapter 4 as well, but as you read the end of chapter 4, you see they're talking about another man by the name of Barnabas, and they're describing the church. And it's a great description of the early church at that time. He says the whole church was in unity. They had all things in common. They were loving each other. They were caring about each other. They were taking care of the needs of the body of Christ that was there. It says, and, and Barnabas from Cyrene came and he sold his property and he gave it. He laid it at the apostles' feet and, and there was great joy and rejoicing and they just took care of all the needs around them. And then all of a sudden you go to chapter 5 and verse number 1. Now understand that when these letters are written, there are no chapter divisions. We've put them in there so we can find our place and we can turn to something quickly or kind of follow our train of thought. But there's no, really no chapter break between chapter 4 and chapter 5. It is one continuous, ongoing story. 
And so you have now, in the midst of all this unity and celebration of what Barnabas had done, uh, unfortunately, a couple pretenders step up. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. And you, you heard this story. They sold a piece of property, and they came and they gave money from the proceeds of that sale to the apostles. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with selling land. There's nothing wrong with giving money to the church to meet the needs. All these are good and wonderful things. The only thing is with the pretense that they had sold this property for a certain amount of money and they claimed to have given all that back to the church. And they were lying because they held back a part for themselves. In fact, the, the, the sermon this morning is titled The Danger of Holding Back. Holding back. Holding back a part of ourselves. Holding back a part of our lives. Holding back a part of our possessions. The danger of holding back. Their sin was not a lack of generosity, but a lack of honesty. They lied about what they had done, and they wanted to be thought of as generous without paying the price of generosity, and so they want to put on airs, and just keep in mind, they had just talked about Barnabas and all that he had done, and the whole church didn't give glory to Barnabas, they gave glory to God, but they saw Barnabas being saluted and glory given to God, and they thought, we'll do the same thing, and everybody will think we're all that. God would have nothing to do with it. He surgically comes down and he removes the cancer out of the body of Christ. I want to tell you something. When you read that story, that sounds pretty severe, doesn't it? Bam, Ananias dead, falls on the ground. I got to thinking about that passage as I was studying and researching. You know what? If, if, if the Holy Spirit did that today, and he can do that today, I'm not saying he doesn't, but if he did that today, I probably wouldn't be up here preaching right now. I have blown it so many times. I should have been struck dead many times along the way for the stupid, idiotic stuff that I have done. And I thought about that house of fear, the judgment for Ananias, bam, right there on the, to, to fall. And the Bible says in verse 11, this is such a dramatic moment in the church. Great fear sees the entire church. What a mess. That's a messy church, Right? Now, some of you guys are thinking, well, pastor, listen, let's just kind of fast forward. What's this have to do with me? It has everything to do with us. Because there's some major warnings of things that we can learn from Ananias and Sapphira this morning. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to think because you're not selling land and bringing your money in, this scripture doesn't apply to you. There are some overarching lessons that we need to get today. So take your bulletins out, turn them over. We're going to stay right here. It's going to be a little heavy today. I want you to stay with me. I think you can catch this this morning. The danger of holding back. The first sin we see is the sin of lying. It was an outright, bold-faced lie, and I call that the danger of holding back the truth. Now, if Satan cannot defeat the church from attacks from the outside, he will try to do it from within the church. He'll do it from the inside of the church. Ananias and Sapphira were recognized as a part of that early church, and so from within the church, he creates this lie. Listen to this statement by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. Isn't that good? Sin has many different tools, but the lie is the handle that fits them all. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about this lie, first of all. First of all, in verse number three, it says, Satan has filled your heart. Satan has filled your heart to do this thing. Now, Satan is a liar, the Bible says, and the father of all lies. 
So lying has its source from the devil himself. And so when you engage in lying, when you share a falsehood, when you say that checks in the mail and it's not, you're of your father, the devil. When you lie to somebody else, when you misrepresent yourself, when you are not truthful and truth-telling to get yourself out of a jam or out of a mess and you cover up one sin with a lie and another sin, you are of your father the devil. Satan, the Bible says, has filled your heart to do this thing, Ananias and Sapphira. When we lie, we are imitating Satan, not our heavenly father. Now, on the other hand, do not think Satan forced them to lie. Even though the Bible said Satan has filled your heart, their action was voluntary. They were under no compulsion to sell the land or even to give it all. They voluntarily lied and cover up with the idea to deceive. You see, sometimes when we sin or when we lie or we do something we shouldn't do, it's easy to blame Satan for our sins. I'm going to age myself right here, but we got a lot in my age group, so many of you will recognize this, but they used to have a comedian on one of the shows at night. That's when comedy was clean. It was Flip Wilson, and he used to dress up like Geraldine, and when they would talk to Geraldine, he would say, the devil made me do it. Anybody remember that? Is it just me? And, and, and I think we can have a tendency in the church when we sin, when we stumble, when we fall, we can say, the devil made me do it. Listen, I want to tell you something. I want to clear that up right now. The devil can't make you do anything. You were once a child of the devil. You were once a slave to sin. You were once bound by your own flesh. But that is no more. As a child of God, the devil can't make you do anything. You are no longer slaves of Satan. His power has been broken. In fact, the Bible says we will resist the devil and he will flee from us. So don't blame the devil when you sin. You can be tempted, you can be tested and tried, but it says in James you are led away by your own stinking flesh. That's my paraphrase. I don't think stinking's in there, but it does stinketh. The reality is, it says they, they uh, in verse 4, it says, they, how can you think of doing such a thing? Or it says in the New King James Version, this thing was conceived in your heart. It was born in your own heart. It was a carefully conceived plan, uh, conspired with Satan. So Ananias and Sapphira conceived the plan in their heart in harmony with the devil himself. Uh, but you see, when you join hands with the devil and you partner with him into sin, it leaves no more room for the Holy Spirit to dwell there. This thing has been conceived or birthed in your heart. Now, I want you to notice something very interesting. Verse number three, if you got your Bibles, your uh, text phones, whatever you're using right there, it says in verse three, they lied to the Holy Spirit. In verse four, it says they lied to God. I'm just gonna throw in a real quick theology lesson there. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Right, you just saw it in the text. Verse three, lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse four, lied to God. And so what does that tell me? The Holy Spirit is fully God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's an old saying, and I've paraphrased it a little bit. It says, you can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all the time. 
But here's what I want to add, but you can never, ever fool God. You may fool your brothers and sisters, but God knows all. And in this case, God, the Holy Spirit, tips off Peter. He gives them that gift of discernment so that he discerns they are lying against the Holy Spirit. Now, here is something I want you to hear. The Bible says... You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God, verse number four. And yet, remember from the story, it was Ananias who came in and said to the church, said to Peter, said to the apostles, we've sold the property, here's all the money from that property. It looks like they are talking to man and not to God, right? So what does it mean? You've not lied to man, but you've lied to God. There is such a unity between Christ and his church Christ and his bride, that whatever we do to someone else in the body of Christ, it's just like we've done it to God. There is that that oneness there that takes place when we come into communion with our Heavenly Father. You see, the bottom line is God loves his church, and he purchased the church with his very own blood. The Bible says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. How better for Satan to attack the church than through a lie? The church is called the temple of God in which God dwells, but Satan wants to move in and he wants to dwell there too. The church is called the army of God, but Satan seeks to get out his, into our ranks as many traitors as he can. In fact, Paul talks to the, I want you to turn to Acts 20, just real quick. Paul talks to the Ephesian elders And he says something to them. He warns them. He gives them this warning, this very impassionate warning about how the enemy is going to try to destroy and come against the church. And he says, keep watch, verse 28, over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What a description. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in from among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. Case in point, Ananias and Sapphira, in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of each of you night and day with tears. And so he says, literally, Satan will try to sabotage the church. And he says, from even within your midst will come ravenous wolves who will try to pull people away from the purity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Had not the gift of discernment been in operation, Ananias and Sapphira may have become leaders in that church. Have you thought about that? Had the Holy Spirit not interrupted that giving celebration, that church could have said, look at Ananias. They are high caliber leaders. They are high leadership potential. Let's make them leaders of of this group, of that group, of this ministry, that ministry. They could have been lifted up, but the Holy Spirit was guarding his body, especially in these early, early days of the early church. Dishonesty spreads like cancer. When we are not real, listen to me now, when we are not real and authentic with others, spiritual superficiality sets into the church. I want to move from this lying and outright verbal lie to the lies that are more common to all of us when we put on our smiley face 
and we say, I'm okay, you're okay, and everything's okay, no real ministry can occur in the body of Christ unless we become a little bit transparent and open with what God's doing inside of us. We put on our faces, we look good, we keep up a good front, and what happens is we cover up our hurts, we cover up our wounds, we cover up our sin and pain, and healing never occurs, and so we die on the inside all the time because we're not truthful about what's going on. Mm. The challenge in the church is not holding back a part of our property because that's not happening a whole lot today, but holding back a part of ourselves. The danger of holding back and we're dying because we don't open up and share. No, the Holy Spirit's not killing us. He's knocking us, not, not knocking us over. We're not dying on the spot and being ushered out and having a funeral within three hours. That's not happening. But what is happening is we die a little bit on the inside when we hold back ourselves from one another in the body of Christ. That's why the family is so important. That's why we need each other. And yet we hold back. Don't want anybody to know my sin. And so we keep it in darkness. And the sin continues to grow and binds our life and destroys our life. And we die from that sin. We die from that addiction because we don't tell anybody. We're depressed and we're broken and we're hurting. But I don't want anybody to know. I want to look good. I want to look great when I come to church. I want to smile. I want to be on my A game. And we're on our A game, but inside we're dying. Because we're holding back. We're holding back. And we put on this false face. We look real good on the outside. Ananias and Sapphira were blessed to be able to sell their property and have something to share to help others. The Lord has blessed us and made us unique and special in the body of Christ. Everybody in this place has a special, unique gift that you have to share with everybody else in the family of God. And we have something to give others. And we have something to give back to God. And that is my gift. And that is my talents that God has blessed me with. But when I hold back, listen to me. It is a great act of disloyalty to God and to his church. Paul writes the Ephesians. And in chapter 3 and verse number 2 he says, The dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. He said, God has blessed me. God has been good to me, Paul writing. God's given me his grace. Why did he give it to me? So I can give it to others. And when you hold that back, when you hold your testimony back, when you hold your story back, when you hold your, your, your resources back, when you hold your gifts back that God has given you and you refuse to choose, serve, you refuse to get involved, you want to hold back. You're hurting and harming the body of Christ. To withhold any portion of ourselves from his people is to deny the gift that God has given us. In Acts 4, 32, I said it led into Acts 5, it described the healthy church. Look at what it says about this early church. It says, they had all things in common. Now we know it talks about possessions and property, but do we really have all things in common? Are we open? Do we share? Do we help each other? Do we minister to each other? Do we get involved in each other's lives? I'm holding back. I'm holding back. Acts, Acts uh, says in verse 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. 
I believe that in this church, God has given everybody a gift of his spirit that when we put all those gifts together, nobody will lack. Every need will be met spiritually, physically, financially, because no one will lack because we're doing what God's called us to do. And yet if you're holding back, that's not going to happen. Ananias lied. That's pretty obvious from the text. But the real lie was another word called hypocrisy. Now, I want you to follow me here. This is, this, is, this is this wow moment this morning. You ready? You ready for it? It was hypocrisy. The word hypocrite means to wear a mask or play a part. Okay? That's the Greek word. It's trying to make people think we are more spiritual than we really are. Now listen to me. Get this. The name Ananias meant God is gracious. The name Sapphira, his wife, means beautiful. The irony is there was nothing gracious about Ananias' life. It was all a lie. There was nothing beautiful about Sapphira's lying to the Holy Spirit and lying to the church. Now, where am I going with this? If you call yourself a Christian, you are saying, I am a Christ follower. I am a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do your actions measure up to your name? Didn't do it for Ananias. God is gracious. No, he didn't live up to that. Sapphira, beautiful, didn't live up to that. If you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, but your actions Monday through Friday don't measure up, you are a hypocrite, and you are the worst of liars. Second thing they were guilty of was greed. Greed. And that's holding back possessions. 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And at its root, what led to the lying and the hypocrisy and everything else that Ananias and Sapphira were involved in was they loved money. Okay? The love of money will cause people to lie and steal and cheat and even kill. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. When we hold back, it stems from a failure to trust God. Now listen to me. I want you to follow this now. It says they kept back, they held back a part of the proceeds from the sale. What motivated Ananias and Sapphira to do that? Why did they hold back? It's because they didn't fully trust God. Ananias might have thought to himself, you know, what if I give this all this money away and the church fails? After all, they've only been this thing for a few days, a few months maybe. What if the church falls apart? What if it fails and I've put all this money in the church at the apostles' feet? What if it all falls apart? 
What if I need extra for my retirement, Ananias thought? What about my health coverage? What about my kid's college fund? What about my vacation that's coming up? What about retirement? What about all those kind of things? You see, they wanted to give the impression they were totally trusting God because they said, we gave all. We trust God. We gave it all away. God's going to take care of us, and he's going to take care of his church. They're giving the impression of an implicit trust in God, but fear keeps them holding back. Failing to tithe to the local church is rooted in unbelief. If you're not tithing, it's because you don't believe the promises of God. There's no other way to slice it, cut it, dice it, whatever. God gives you a promise in his word. Trust me now in this. Try me now in this, says the Lord God of hosts. But what happens is fear sets in. I'm not going to have enough to pay my bills. I'm not going to have enough for my kids' tuition. I'm not going to have enough to buy this car that I want. I'm not going to have enough money to pay my mortgage payment. I can't afford to tithe. Listen to me. You can't afford not to tithe. It's a question of trust. Do you really believe we sang it? He's all I need. He's all I need. God is all I need. But we sing it. He's all I need plus my bank account. He's all I need plus my savings account. He's all I need plus my house. He's all I need plus my car. Do we trust God or not? When you realize it's God's money to begin with, it's not yours. It's not mine. And you realize it's God's money to begin with, then I make him Lord to my finances. You can't have a better CEO than God. CFO. Let him control your finances. Don't knock him out of the equation by failing to trust God. I want to, I want to challenge you guys. This is going to set you free. You get on a path of generosity. There's no end to what God can't do in your life and through you and through your family and through the church. It's, a, it's, 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 it's exponential. It literally releases freedom that is mind-boggling. But we are so fearful. We don't believe God's word. We don't trust him, and we hold back. Ananias held back, held back, didn't give it all. Listen to this promise, Malachi 3 and 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. God says it. Test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Listen, I believe the promises of God. God has blessed me abundantly, coming and going and leaving and everything else. I can't explain how God does it. He just does it. Who are you going to trust? Your own ability to earn and spend and save or a floodgate opening God. I'm, I'm a goofball. I mess it up. But when I trust God with it, when I put it in God's hand, when I say, God, I believe you, 
Try me in this. I'll open up the floodgates. Fear and greed set in and Ananias held back. Listen to me. The world's economy says this. If we grasp and cling to our possessions through our own cleverness, we'll eventually make it. God's economy is radically different. It's upside down. It's totally opposite. He says, you serve an extravagant Lord who gives generously. To everyone with a need, he enjoys meeting the needs of his followers directly or indirectly. He doesn't merely give of his resource. He gave himself. He gave his only begotten son. When we hold back for fear it might run out, life seems scarce. You are living out of what I call a scarcity mentality. When fear locks you down, and I can't tithe, and I can't trust God, and I can't be involved in giving generously, when that locks you down, you have what I call a scarcity mentality. But when giving becomes a way of life, listen to me, it will produce more in the future, and life seems abundant. It is an abundant full, exciting life, which is what Jesus had in mind when he said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. If you're not enjoying an abundant life, it's because you are have a scarcity mentality. You are locked in by fear and unbelief from this world system. I don't care if a Democrat's in office, a Republican in office. You're still going to have to pay a lot of taxes. You slice it, dice it any way you want to, it's going to happen. And they're not going to fix the economy. But listen, there's a whole other economy that's different than the world's economy. It's the economy of God. I'll trust God. I'll follow God. I'll believe God. I'll do what God's word tells me to do. Don't hold back in this area. Let God bless your finances. Partner with him. It is a radically exciting life. Hallelujah. Mm, mm, mm. Number three. Get this. I told you, you'd have to get, you have steak knives today. I, I, they're not always this deep, but I want you to stay with me. And to me, this is the most radical point of all. Listen to me. Pride pride. And what is he holding back? He's holding back the glory that is due to God. Now I want you to stay with me here. This is, this is the Mac Daddy of all sins right here. Chapter 4, look at it. Let's go back to chapter 4. Look at verses 36 and 37. He says there, uh, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Obviously, there's apostles around. People see what's going on. They know what's happening. And just go right on now, a man named Ananias and Sapphira. I believe at the very core of this incredible lie and plot they hatched was pride. Church is praising God, not not Barnabas, but praising God for Barnabas' generous gift. Satan whispers to Ananias, you can also bask in the glory. Now's your time to shine. Now's your time to step out there. You're just as spiritual as Barnabas is. Now you hear how Satan's working behind the scenes? You're just as spiritual as Barnabas. 
Giving, by its very nature, is never intended to bring glory to the giver, always to God. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. He tells us how to give because he wants to be sure that when we do give, God gets the glory, not man. And so he tells us, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do so, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. There's this pride thing coming in. If I do it, I'll be seen by men. They'll think I'm such great philanthropist. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites, there's that word, do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they receive the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do it not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, when we give, it's to the work of God, it's an obedience to God, it's because we love God. It's not to be seen by man. The Pharisees, when they would give on the street corners, would sound a bell, make sure everybody gathered around, and then they'd give their alms to somebody who was poor. And boy, they just strutted their stuff. Great hypocrites. Great actors. Whatever we possess is not ours, but it's God's anyway. So whenever we give, the glory belongs to the owner, not the manager. Right? God owns it all. We're the managers. When we give, who's to be glorified? God. Whose works to go forward? God. Who gets the praise? God. If the manager tries to get the praise for himself, he is stealing the glory that belongs to God. And God takes that very, very seriously. Daniel Defoe made this statement, pride is the first peer and president of hell. Pride brought the fall of Lucifer. It brought Lucifer down out of the heavens, cast him to the earth. Pride brought the fall of our first parents down, Adam and Eve. They believed that lie of the devil, that ye shall be as God. Pride opens the door to every other sin. When you are more concerned about your reputation than you are your character, There is no end to things you will do to make yourself look good. I want to read that one again. I want you to get this down. Listen to me. When you are more concerned about your reputation than you are your character, there is no end to what you will do to make yourself look good. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was not necessarily robbing God of money. It was robbing God of glory. Their lust for recognition that was conceived in their heart produced death. Wow. Anytime you become prideful, you take credit, you get all puffed up about how hot you are, what are you doing? You're taking glory away from your creator. Pride. There's a story in the Old Testament that kind of mirrors this one. And uh, it's a story of another very severe judgment of God right inside the nation of Israel. When David's gonna bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, he has a cart made up, and they put the Ark on the carts. 
And that ark signified the glory of God. Listen to me, the glory of God, the manifest glory of God. They're bringing it back into Jerusalem. They're all excited because the ark's gonna return to the capital. But they hit a bumpy path along the road. A man by the name of Uzzah goes up and he puts his hands on the ark. He touches the glory. And immediately, he struck dead. Just like Ananias, just like Sapphira, Uzzah is struck dead. Why is he killed right there on the spot for just trying to keep the ark from falling over? Because he was messing with the glory of God. You don't mess with God's glory. And when you are prideful and cocky and lifted up and it's all about me, you're heaping the glory on yourself and not your creator. Don't touch the glory. The second time David goes back, he's upset, he's mad at God. What have you done? And God says, go read the book. I told you how to bring the ark back. It's to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. Uh, Listen to me. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are the ones who will carry the glory of God with us. Uh, And they brought it back into Jerusalem with shouts of singing and praise and honoring God. And the, the ark is returned to the temple, the tabernacle, excuse me. That is exactly what Ananias and Sapphira were guilty of. They love the praise of man. Once that gets a foothold into the church, it ends fellowship. It breaks down our fellowship. It brings spiritual death. We die spiritually every time we withhold love and forgiveness and caring and we make it all about us. We come into church with a consumer mentality. I'm the center of this place and you're here to serve me and this is what I want, blah, blah, blah. And I'm so great and I can do all these ministries. As soon as that attitude creeps into the body of Christ, it destroys the fellowship and it brings spiritual death. Don't mess with the glory of God. Mm, 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 mm. Go back to Acts 5. Look if you would at verse number 11. It says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I want the Holy Spirit to come in and bring a reverential fear into this house. He is a holy God. He's a holy God. Early church glorified God because of what one man did, a man by the name of Barnabas. Named Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was willing to give it all. He didn't hold back. But they also witnessed firsthand the lies and the greed and pride of Ananias, whose name means the Lord be gracious. But Ananias, unlike Barnabas, is a total hypocrite. He failed to live up to his name. God would not allow that spirit to remain in the church. God was cleansing his bride. Listen, a sick and suffering and wounded world needs to see a pure gospel. Not mixed with our pride and not mixed with our greed and not mixed with our lying. Free from any holdouts. We can't hold back, church. It's all in. We've got to be all in. Are we halfway in? 
Little part to God, little part for me, little part for this. Or are we all in? Are we all into the kingdom and God's work and God's purposes? Are we all in? No holding back the truth. Church, it's time to be transparent and open and loving each other as God has called us to and take off our hypocritical faces. No holding back of myself. I become very generous with my time and my resources and my talents because I want to see the body of Christ blessed. And no holding back on giving glory to God, not seeking my own recognition and my own kudos and my own praise, uh, but I want to see God lifted up and glorified above everything else in my life. And so I give God the glory, give my all to God, I give my all to my church family. Hallelujah. Are you all in today? Are you all in? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Musicians, quickly come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mighty God, mighty God. Help us, I pray. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.